What do you think about the census? I'm a little bit worried about like providing all my information. I know I post a lot online anyway at the moment, but I guess it's just a bit nerve-wracking like giving the government all that info. Everyone seems so comfortable giving all their information to Google and Facebook. I don't know why everyone suddenly gets so worried when it's the government collecting the information. I think the census is really good for statistics and for Australia to understand who's in their country and what their needs are. I don't understand why the census needs to collect our names, so I don't see how that benefits the statistical gain. I think I'm an old-fashioned libertarian at heart and basically I fear public servants, government and everything to do with them deep down inside and so I think the limitations on the census that existed before were probably sensible and some of what's occurred now I think is uh, invasive and unnecessary and I don't think people need to be identified. I use the ABS statistics a lot for health analysis and it's good. Well, I use statistics for health analysis all the time, so I think in that sense it's really important. Hello, and welcome to Law Radio. I'm Kate Galloway. You've been listening to some views that Melissa Caston and I collected on the street. What people are thinking about the census due to take place in Australia on the 9th of August. And that's the topic of our podcast today. So Kate, you and I have been talking about the census quite a bit the last few weeks and certainly the activity on social media and some mainstream media has indicated people are showing a lot more stress this this year, this census, than in the past. What's the debate about at the moment? Well, I think, Melissa, there's a couple of things. There's a little bit of uncertainty around the fact that this census is the first one to go fully online. So I think in some censuses past, there's been the option to fill out the census online, but this time they've shifted the entire process online and you can opt out of that and request a paper form instead of going online. So that's the first issue, and that raises questions of the confidentiality of information, the risk of hacking, the use of identifiers that have been sent out to households and how secure that is. There's a whole lot of questions around that security. But the second issue is the way that the ABS intends to use that information and there are a couple of issues associated with that. One is that the name and address is going to be kept now for up to four years, whereas in the past apparently it was kept only for 18 months. And right. secondly, when they destroy, when they've finished using the names and addresses and, and apparently will destroy them, each person will get a unique identifier, a coded identifier that will allow manipulation of our personal information in a way that hasn't been available in the past. So it's quite normal for the name and I think also the addresses to be stripped away from what we'd call the statistical data about how many people live in a particular residence or the level of education of those people. What's different about this process with the names and addresses and this de-identification process? Once it's de-identified, it's data set for each person as I understand it will still be linked to a special identifying number. So anyone who's looking at the information won't be able to tell 
that it relates to me personally, they'll just know it belongs to person one, two, three, four, five. But the way that that's intended to be used, I understand, is that the data set for that person apparently somehow can be linked to other data sets that are held by other government agencies, for example, pharmaceutical benefits scheme or birth, deaths and marriages to provide some more detailed information, but also individual people, number one, two, three, four, five, can be tracked through time. So they'll be able to work out what a, what happens to a person with a university degree and whether they get a job and how much money they earn and how much tax they pay and all that sort of stuff. All the so way they'll, track, the they'll track the de-identified identifier each five years. And That's so you can my, see that, someone over 20, 30 years, presumably. That's my understanding and the example that keeps coming up that is, is used frequently in attempts to explain why each person's information is going to be sort of kept together or, or with reference to this identifying number is that government doesn't have very good data about life expectancy for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians and they say that having such an identifier will allow them to work out what is the actual life expectancy of Indigenous Australians. And I guess it's going to be used for other purposes as well. And so I, I guess what the controversy is or the sensitivity about this is, is the idea that the identifier isn't truly detached from a person's actual name and that there might be a way to reconstruct a person's name backwards from the identifier as it links back to your material or your data on the PBS scheme or Centrelink or tax file number, etc. I think that's the fear. And because it is such a comprehensive bunch of information that some people have demonstrated that you, if you had a whole lot of those individual bits of information without the name of a person, you could actually work out who that person is and I think I think it was the 2004 US census was used to identify Arab Americans for the purposes of either surveillance or anti-terrorism maneuvers or something like that and so this in the present international climate the political climate this is a really big concern for particular groups in the community who feel that they may well be targeted by government because of information that they have given over in the census. So is there a movement for people to not complete the census this year? Look, I'd never advise anyone to break the law, but there's a lot of information that's out there that's being shared through social media and on the internet generally about the kinds of approaches that people might take to register their disaffection with the process that's being foisted upon them or that they feel is being foisted upon them by the ABS. And so, I mean, a lot of what we've been reading is people from various different realms, community groups, pressure groups, talking about different aspects of the census, where they're talking about data security, whether they're talking about the use that you make of statistical information, whether they're talking about privacy concerns. I guess what what we want to think about or what we want to kind of unpack a little bit is what's the legal dimensions of this problem and what we might know about what the Act actually requires. I think that's right and that would take a close reading of the legislation I imagine to work out uh, what are the ups and downs and some people have taken it upon themselves to, to write about that. Well Kate, what I suggest is that we 
speak to someone who's looked closely at the Act and see what their analysis of the legal obligations and the, the limitations of that are. We'll take a break now and then we'll come back and talk to Dr Caroline Henkel at Monash University and see what the Act actually says. Caroline, we've spoken earlier about the census that's coming up and people's concerns about filling out some of the requested data in it. Do people have to fill out their name when they're filling out the census? Well, that's an interesting legal question because the Section 8 of the Census and Statistics Act says that the statistician, which is the, the chief statistician of the ADS, must collect statistical information for the census and then regulations that are made under that legislation prescribe the category of name as a type of statistical information. So on the face of it, it looks like if you're obliged to fill in a census form, you're also obliged to provide your name. But if we try and figure out what statistical information actually means, it's not defined in the Act, but it suggests that statistical information is information that the statistician will compile and analyse to publish and disseminate that. And we're, under, we're unaware of, of any intention of the ABS to compile and analyse people's names, like how right, many, so mili- how how many, many militias, militias there were in, in Melbourne. How many are. Exactly. So, I mean, the, status, the ABS publicity people have told us that they need the names to undertake some kind of data matching process between the names of people and the data that's provided, although they are de-identifying the data that's provided. So there's some conundrum about what you need the names for. If the names are being used as a form of matching of the data, it's not clear then whether that actually amounts to, quote, statistical information or not. Exactly. So so that is the, the crux of the legal issue, whether they have the legal authority to collect names as part of the census because the census law says you can only collect statistical information. So that is really the, the, the crux of the issue. And that's the point that I think the former ABS statistician had made, isn't it? That there's a separate exercise done with the names than what you're doing with the, the raw data about how many people live in a house or um, what religion people are or you know how many children they've had or whatever. Yeah, that's exactly right. He says there, the, the data matching process that's undertaken, and I understand that's to sort of add another layer of robustness to any kind of longitudinal data analysis they're doing. The names are actually not part of the statistical exercise that is the census, but a separate statistical exercise. So according to him, and this is the previous or the, one of the former ADS statisticians, Bill McLennan, Names are not being taken or being used for the census itself. They're being used for a separate exercise. Mm. So they, the names part of the regulation might, in fact, be outside the scope of the Census Act. Yeah, so that's an argument you can make because it's regulations, which are a type of subordinate legislation, which prescribe name as a category of statistical information. The, the argument here is that the government that enacted these regulations didn't actually have the power to include name because name is not a category of statistical information. So, so that's, a, as, that's a kind of ultra-virus argument. That's, yeah, that means that they could be struck down for being invalid You know, if somebody were to bring a matter on in court and, and to ask the court to exercise that power. Right, because so the reg- it, it would be a magistrate that makes that decision. Initially, um, a magistrate would hear a challenge to... A penalty, and right. would determine how to how to deal with the matter. Okay, so if I can t- 
take you back a step then. Well, what, what kind of offences are there in the Act if you don't fill out the census documentation properly? Well, there are two offences. The first one is if you simply decline to fill out the whole form or part of the form, and here we're just interested in, in the category of name. Mm. If you don't fill it out, there won't be any consequences directly. What it is an offence not to do is to provide the information if you're specifically directed to by an authorised ABS officer who could issue you a notice in writing or could ask you verbally to provide information that you've left out of the form. And if you fail to provide that, you could be fined. But the argument here is that if there's no legal authority on behalf of ABS to ask for name, you don't commit an offence by refusing to provide it. No. If I was to do that, I wouldn't know that that's the case until I go to court and try and demonstrate yeah, that and get of course. to agree with me. So that's kind of a hypothetical, isn't it? It's a hypothetical, of course. You know, we don't know how a court would interpret this, but this is an argument that seems at least arguable. And I suppose that's the argument that a few people have, you know, been making on social media in, re in recent days. So, of course, we don't know how a court would interpret these sorts of provisions. But I think, oh. you know, an argument can be made that no offence would be committed by not providing name when directed to do so if there's no power to collect name. So, Caroline, you said there were two offences. What's the second situation? The second situation is that it's an offence to provide false or misleading information on a census form. So if somebody was to object to filling in their name by writing a, a fake name in the form, that would clearly be an offence, even if the name was you know, meant to be a funny one, for example. Okay, so no census mcsensus face. No census mcsensus face. That, that, that seems clearly an offence. It doesn't matter whether or not the ABS has the lawful authority to collect names that the provision is clear that if they provide any information that's false or misleading in relation to the census they commit the offence. Okay so it's one thing to not fill out the place where it has your name it's another thing to fill it out with false or misleading information. Exactly so the first situation is the grey area that we've been talking about the second situation seems pretty pretty black and white. All right well that's very useful to have that insight to how the statute is actually is actually structured and what it actually, the obligations that it actually puts on people. Because I, th I feel like a lot of the conversations that people have been having, or at least that I've seen, are talking about concepts of privacy and concepts of data and concepts of statistics, but not necessarily referencing the actual act and what the legal obligations are for the, the person and what the legal powers are, I guess, for the ABS itself. Exactly. And, you know, when you actually sit down and read the Act, it's just a classic case of statutory interpretation. This is the kind of thing that a law student might be asked to answer in an exam. It's, it's an interesting legal question, and I suppose we'll just sort of have to wait and see whether the courts have the opportunity to determine that particular question. Well, Caroline, thank you very much for your insights today, and, and I hope all the law students who are preparing for their law exams later on this semester have listened closely. Thank you. You've been listening to Dr Caroline Henkel from Monash University talking about the intricacies of statutory interpretation in terms of the census which is coming up this next week. She was talking with Melissa Caston. You're listening to Law Radio. You can follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes and you can check out our blog lawradio.net which has links to interesting bits of information about the census. 
Good luck on the 9th of August. I'm Kate Galloway. See you next time.